Today's episode is sponsored by MediHuman, who have a range of targeted functional wellness CBD drinks to bring balance to your mind and body. Daily life can be rewarding but stressful. Living a fast-paced lifestyle can make it difficult to stay calm, focused and centred, but MediHuman drinks can help you return to your optimal self. In particular, I've been enjoying the energy drink with cranberry, lime, ginseng and caffeine for my marathon training. And then for my recovery, I have the Recover drink, which is ginger, blood orange, turmeric and zinc. I think my favourite is the Glow, which is lime and elderflower flavoured and has been developed to help nourish and strengthen your skin. But I've also been drinking their nighttime drink before bed, which is sour cherry and hibiscus flavoured and really helps you fall asleep. I've been drinking these drinks for over a year now and found they really help because as well as CBD, the drinks contain nutrients, adaptogens, nootropics and best in class micro encapsulated CBD for optimum absorption and effectiveness. All their drinks are vegan, they're under 30 calories and have 20 grams of CBD. Oh, and they're actually so yummy. Yeah, and CBD can help with anxiety, sleep, mood, pain, pleasure, inflammation and immunity. So go and get yours today using code MHBOOK30 for 30% off. Book Recos Between the Pages. I'm Jess and I'm Lauren and we're the pals behind Book Recos. This is the podcast where we chat all things books and just about everything in between. And today is very exciting because we recently read a book called Happy Not Perfect and today we are interviewing the author Poppy Jamie. Happy Not Perfect is all about how to upgrade your mind, challenge your thoughts and free yourself from anxiety. A book that I think everybody needs. I bloody well do. (laughs) Today's guest is Mega. Mm. After graduating from the London School of Economics, Poppy Jamie moved to LA to work with MTV, ITV and later launched Snapchat's first chat show, Pillow Talk with Poppy. She later began to develop her app, Happy Not Perfect, as a tool to deal with anxiety. More on that later. Whilst developing that app, she also co-founded accessories brand Pop and Suki with her best friend, actress Suki Waterhouse. She's given TED Talks, Forbes named her one of their 30 under 30, and now she's written a fabulous, personal and insightful book, and we are chatting about it with her today. Poppy, welcome to the podcast and thank you so much for joining. We really, really do appreciate it. And in case any of our listeners haven't already guessed from Jess's intro, you're a very busy person. So thank you for taking the time out of your day to join us. Honestly, it is such um, a joy and a pleasure. I'm so, I was so excited about this podcast because you know you've got to do obviously kind of you know a lot of interviews for the book and then most people actually haven't read the book so it is always like such a delight when you actually speak to people that have read the book so that's so thank you I bet this feels really kismet for me because I've been following your journey Poppy for quite a while now and I first started using the Happy Not Perfect app I think it was in 2018 when I was working in an agency and feeling quite stressed and was using it as a tool to help deal with that those pressures and it's just really amazing to see how the apps evolved and how it's become even bigger and better today and there are just so many tools within it like 
you have guided meditations based on how you're feeling and which I think is just a really refreshing way of approaching meditation from that lens and also you've got gratitude journals and a wealth of educational materials too anyways I digress. I just think it's really cool that all these years later, I'm lucky enough to not only have been sent and read your book, but get to talk to you about it too. Um, So let's start at the very beginning with the app. For listeners who are not already aware, can you share with us a little bit more detail about how you came up with the concept of the app and Happy Not Perfect as a brand originally, and how your own journey into understanding your own mental health played a part in that? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I think it probably, my meltdown happened in my mid-20s, and I think that it wasn't that I wasn't anxious before. I think I was just much better at managing it or not managing it well, but I had enough coping strategies to be able to just get through and ignore it well. I was good at ignoring it. I think that was the best way to to sum that up. And then I guess when life just starts to kind of, it was the straw that broke the camel's back. When life starts to put like additional pressure, additional pressure, my coping strategies of just trying to push it down, ignore it, Uh, try to be busy as a remedy to kind of distract myself from how I was feeling no longer worked and as a consequence my health totally gave way and I actually ended up in hospital with chronic burnout and adrenal fatigue and um, and the chronic exhaustion like didn't just last a week it pretty much lasted over a year of just having absolutely zero energy to do anything and for someone who has like always been quite energetic and always kind of you know being able to get up in the morning or and I think often my anxiety manifested as kind of like really high energy but actually it was like kind of real real deep anxiety um to not have any energy is like you you almost feel like you've lost your life force so it was a really like shocking year um and um and that was what really led me to go well what is going on how can I understand my brain so I can understand how I've got to this point and also how I can understand how to get out of this point and through really education laid the root like I found the route to so much more mental freedom I ever thought was possible And that then led me to go, well, I've been able to meet these world experts. I, you know, despite having a psychotherapist mother who I never listened to suddenly and like, and I'm sure everyone can can relate to that. Like, you you know, your parents have all this wisdom and then suddenly it's when you're in kind of, you know, um, kind of ground bottom, you're suddenly like, oh yeah, what did you say? Um, and uh, and that was really was why I wanted to set up Happy Not Perfect was to make sure everybody had tools and everybody had the learnings about how their brain worked and also had somewhere to go um, when they were feeling that sense of anxiety or sadness or any emotion. Like um, often we just think of like mental health when we're feeling sad, but also it's really important when we're feeling good, too. Um, so that was really the, the point of the start. I love that. And at, at points it feels uh, like a memoir because it's so personal to you. And I felt like I learned so much about you and found it so interesting. And then there's like all this science and this like toolkit behind it as well. And I just thought it was fab. And I, I think our listeners will be 
keen to know if I enjoyed this book because we've talked about this on the podcast before that mm-hmm. the self-help genre and just wellness in general is very much Lauren's forte and I don't read it as as much and I'm quite skeptical about it when I do read it and um, I can find it really anxiety inducing for some reason um probably because I need the books more <laughs> I'm very pleased to tell you that <laughs> I've not brought you on this podcast to tell you I didn't like your book <laughs> I found it to be so attainable and not preachy at all and like this this toolkit where you can take what you want from it and apply it to your own life and so thank you from me and all the <laughs> non-self-help book readers but I um it got me thinking and I wondered if you had an audience in mind did you write this for the Laurens or for the Jesses and did that play a part in how you wrote the book yeah I remember writing the beginning my mission statement of like okay who am I writing this book for and I remember uh writing on top of a google doc just saying I'm really writing this book for anyone who's ever felt alone or felt like their feelings have got too much or felt like that feeling where you're like oh god where is the way out this like life feels heavy and um and in in a way I probably like and obviously you can always and this is when I have to manage my perfectionism because after I do anything I always look back and go oh I could have made a bit clearer there or could have done this um But really, the book had that one sole mission, which was just be so brutally honest. And and, and still to this day, I'm like, I kind of open the pages of my 12 year old diary entries with like slowly being like, I really put these in there. I ran, I didn't change the names. (laughs) I love those parts (laughs) of the book. (laughs) Like, what was I thinking? Um, But yeah, it was, I almost, I, I, I wrote it like, it kind of because I hadn't written a book before I hadn't like ever processed the thought that anybody would read this so I wrote it literally as if I'd write a diary like that much brutal honesty um and and really just for probably like my previous self but also my current self like I dove into one of the chapters the other day because I was just having one of those kind of like off-key days and and that's the thing with you know that the content in the book and really like content that's been around for thousands of years it is just so important as a constant reminder because our conditioning and our fear is so strong that even when we think we know this stuff, we still need to be reminded of it. Totally. And in fact, I was listening to Ruby Wax talk yesterday and she mentioned how mindfulness is not something that you can just try once and then say, Mm. oh, it's not for me in the same way that you can't just do one sit up and expect to get a six pack. And you mentioned that when you wrote this book, you wanted it to be as honest as possible and that it just and that just becomes so clear when you're reading it. It's just such raw honesty from your part. And Jess and I both read the book a couple of months ago now, and I was just refreshing myself with it this week ahead of talking to you today. And even just in the forward, I almost found myself feeling a little bit emotional because it's just so honest and you speak about how as human beings we have this sort of innate human desire to be happy but very few of us actually understand what makes us happy or at least we think we do but we think it's all of these sort of material things like a new house or a car or whatever 
And there's this quote I pulled out from you. And you say, happiness isn't a manifestation of what one has, but who one is. And for me, I just saw, I just thought that was just so simple, yet a really, really beautiful way of reframing what happiness is. And just a reminder to everyone who's reading that it isn't these material things, but we're told so often by society that it is. And we need these sort of reminders in our daily life to remind us that happiness is something that comes from within. So my question for you is that obviously neither of us have written a book before, but we can imagine writing something as personal as this and on such a complex topic area might have been quite overwhelming. So how did you find the writing process, Poppy? And how did you feel once you put it out into the world? I have to say, and and to that to that point, and um, thank you for quoting that because it we we have grown up in the society of more, like more is better, um, and and we all need to be striving for inverted commas success. And actually, when I was writing the book, I had this moment of like really questioning, well, what is success? Is a bigger house success? Is more money success? But like all these things that we're told to like want to strive for and achieve, like suddenly you have a moment being like, well, does that mean that um, for me, more meant literally not having a relationship for 10 years because I was like, oh my God, I've got to work every single hour of the day. Um, I don't have time for relationships. Well, did that truly make me happy? Like not being able to ever like kind of allow myself to enjoy that and that was um it was a real moment of like massive reflection over the choices that I had made and it got me thinking so much of what we're told to want we don't also take into account the sacrifice that also goes along with that desire or that drive that we're kind of told and in the culture chapter I open it with um, uh, inspired by a writer called David Foster Wallace's speech. And um, he talks about these two fishes and they're like swimming along the water and they meet a big fish and, um, and the big fish goes, Oh, hi guys. And they're like, hi. And the big fish says, so how's the water? And the, the, the fishes turn to each other and they go, what's water. And he says, well, water is the culture that we're all swimming in every single day, all day. But so rarely do we recognize that we are surrounded by such impressionable culture that is that is having an effect on our desires and our wants and the way we feel about ourselves. And without, I think, acknowledging the water that we're swimming in, sometimes I think we can think that we're the problem when actually we're living in a world that is set up to make us feel inadequate. And that was this moment of like, oh, wow, like what beliefs am I subscribing to? What way of life am I subscribing to? And this is truly the route to my own happiness because happiness is a personal like prescription. Like what makes you happy? What makes you happy? Like they're all probably so different. And to have the confidence to take ourselves away from the crowd at times to say, actually going to that party, I know it seems like an event and like all my friends are going, but actually, you know what, that's not really where I am right now. And those decisions feel so like, what am I doing? Am I like that loser person that like doesn't want to see people like ah, that I have countless times? You're like, no, I'm actually just creating my own prescription for happiness right now, which is just having some quiet time because that's what I need to recharge. Um, 
so that was like a big, so, I mean, so, sorry. So that was to really like your first point. And then your second point about like writing the book, um, it was honestly the most cathartic thing I think I've ever done because it was a chance to, and as I said, like I, I, um, I had been asked to write this book kind of about six months before the pandemic. So I'd begun to write it. And then obviously the pandemic hit, which was a really terrifying time for all of us. And it was the first time I think collectively we have had to face fear and every single person had the same amount of risk in a way, obviously those more vulnerable had more risk, but in the sense that all of us were dealing with this like, public enemy number one being COVID and we were all then responding to that public enemy and so I think kind of for me I like sat myself in this room I went to go back and live with my parents which was also like a very strange thing having not lived with them for obviously like decades um and um and I sat there and it was a real trip down memory lane into okay let's really extravate and always get that pronounce that word wrong um our core beliefs like what like what like what were those things that led me to the behaviors that led me to chronic exhaustion and anxiety what were the beliefs what was those seeds and actually it was really beneficial almost going home because you know not that there's I really like to remove all blame from our childhood because everybody just acted as they thought best with the tools that they were given. But going back to our childhoods gives us so much data and information as to who we are now and maybe some of the things that we could possibly unlearn now um, that we've got a, a new perspective and we're older and we've got so much more data to create our belief systems that work for us now, not rely on the belief systems that worked for us when we were 12 years old so it was deeply therapeutic and then since it's come out I feel this sense of like almost kind of a liberation I guess because literally for 12 pounds you can read all my darkest deepest secrets <laughs> and I'm like wow I've got no, there's no mystery here <laughs> So one of my one of my favorite parts of the book you've just reminded me of hearing you talk about uh the pandemic and lockdown and I guess this isn't really a question from me <laughs> but I want to show you that I did stick a post-it note in the book at this part and it it's a part that made me feel really hopeful and mm. um it's where you talk about altruism and how social scientists have proven that we're more likely to commit to a new behavior if we're doing it for someone else which I can completely confirm in January my mum gave up chocolate and I offered to do it with her and there is no way I would have given up chocolate for myself um, but you go on to say that in the UK the government knew if they asked the whole population to stay at home during the COVID-19 lockdown it would be a tall order they found out they'd get better compliance if they pitched quarantine as a selfless act to protect other people and our national health service over just protect yourself. The research showed that citizens were 10% more likely to change their behaviour if they knew it was for the benefit of someone else. And it was just so nice that to know mm -hmm. that actually the human race are not horrible. We, we are good people. And it's really stayed with me since reading the book. Yes, I was listening to this um, government uh, think tank and they were saying how um, 
the reason why the government used that messaging so um I guess impactfully which was you know stay home protect the NHS was to really obviously tap into that altruistic bone in us because we are wired we are social creatures we originated from the tribe um and so when we're looking after other people it allows us to feel that social connection and that is so important for our safety and at the bottom of every at the at the heart of at the heart of every human being we all have the same needs we all want to feel loved we want to feel safe we want to feel enough and and kind of thinking about our social bonds and doing it for some somebody else it allows us to meet those needs because we feel connected and we feel safe and we feel enough and so it's just really interesting like when we and I use kind of like in that in in that part of the book I say you know if you don't feel that because sometimes you can feel so low. You don't feel worthy to get out of bed. You don't feel worthy to kind of feel happy almost. You don't feel worthy that you deserve to treat yourself to, you know, something that you enjoy like a manicure. But actually, if you knew the science that A, emotions are super contagious. So when you do anything to boost your mood or when you do anything to look after yourself, you're really doing it for those around you. Because if you feel better, everybody else gets to benefit from like sharing your good vibes. And so if so, in all of those moments, we're like, oh, deep down, I'm not sure if I deserve this. Just think, well, I'm doing it for somebody else. And it will just kind of hopefully give you a new motivation to look after yourself. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, I would love to be able to describe the flex to our listeners, but we've got you. So I wondered, um, a big part of the book is something you have come up with, which is the flex. So please, could you give a little insight into what that actually is and how we can be bendy? Um, Yes. So being bendy is really having the power to change your outlook and your perspective because one of the things that I think prevents us from living the life that really lights us up being in our full joy and in the book I talk about being aligned with your wildest self and your wildest self is like the most unconditioned self because obviously we come into this world we're full of joy you look at babies they've got smiles they're not saying oh nan don't look at me I'm self-conscious today I'm not going to dance for you they are just so self-accepting of like who they are, what they are. They ask for things they need and want without any hesitation or worry of like, oh my God, do they like me? Do they not? And so getting back to that wild self to me was like, oh, I can really get on board. That actually really defines happiness is us being able to be so fully ourselves unapologetically. And, um, And the flex is a method to help you get there. And um, it's based on the four C's, connection, curiosity, choice, and commitment. And they're four small steps that help you get out of stiff mindsets that you're kind of jumping to conclusions because the brain wants us to jump to conclusions. The brain wants us so much to jump to assumptions. The brain is constantly um, using our kind of our filters, our brain filters that we developed at a young age to understand the world around us. So if we have the belief deep down even if we don't really want to admit it that you know like we've got a bit of imposter syndrome like oh I'm not good enough 
our brain likes to search for information all day, every day to confirm that belief. So suddenly when a, a colleague doesn't reply to our email, we're like, oh my God, does she not like me? Does she not think I'm good enough for this project? Why did she not loop me in? Oh my God, is this, did I fuck up that last meeting? And we like go into this narrative that is supporting like our worst fears. But the flex is a way to stay open, stay curious, and most importantly, stay compassionate. So step one, connection, is all about connecting the mind and the body. Because as I briefly mentioned at the beginning, what happened to me, what really ha- what really made me hit, hit rock bottom is because my brain went one way and my body went another. I was not listening to my intuition. I was not listening to my body. I was aching. I was tired. Um, and yet my brain was like, you need to do more, just work harder, work harder and those anxious feelings will go away and obviously they didn't because our feelings need to be processed so the connection step is around first of all diffusing and disidentifying ourselves from our emotion so I use a technique from acceptance commitment therapy in the book um, something like you know today my mind feels like whew, like a bit stressed let's say and just by saying that I'm reminding myself by you know today emotions are always temporary they're not with us forever my mind like we are not our emotion my mind feels stressed and then we label the emotion because research shows when we label or verbalize how we feel we activate a different part of our brain and actually reduces the emotions impact and when I was researching all of this stuff I'm like oh my god this is nuts it's so simple and yet we can do all these small things just to bring us edges back into alignment and then obviously we and I, I and I and I'll, I'll I'll let you speak because others I'll go off on a, on a total tangent of like going through the flex but moving into curiosity choosing compassion and then committing to making decisions like either you know in alignment with our wildest you know highest self I love that so much. And I actually have an example of how I used the Flex recently. Um, We obviously were all working from home and I live on my own and had a call with my boss and her boss. It was quite an important call. And at the end of the end, my manager said to my boss, oh, can you stay on for five, five minutes? I need to talk to you. And as you do, or at least as I do, my brain brain went a million miles an hour and I just thought, oh my God, he's going to be complaining about me. I'm going to get fired. And in the book, you call this FOBO, which is fear of bad outcomes. And I was worked up and it was, I don't know, it was like 5 p.m. So I logged off and I just went for a run. As you say in the book, when you move your body, you release those negative thoughts And I came home not only feeling better, but also there was a message from my boss who said, oh, I just got some really positive feedback about you. Um, So it just goes to show that thoughts are not facts. And one of my main takeaways from your book was FOBO is one of the more helpful labels we can attribute to something. And it's just a reminder that those thoughts are these worms that can get into your head and I think you call them ants actually so can you talk a little bit more about that oh my gosh that example is so good thank you so much for sharing that that has literally made my day 
Um, and it's it's true. I'm I, I say I'm like FOBO is literally the new FOMO. Um, and I am such a the worst culprit for FOBO. And again, like our brain is just trying to protect us. It's trying to be our friend by like protecting us by kind of like, you know, getting us ready for the worst possible scenario. And if we could manage that, then everything else will kind of be okay. But it just puts it puts us into such a necessary anxiety. Um, so, ah, oh, that was such a good example. Yeah. So ants, um, are automatic negative thoughts and I call them ants because they literally are like an ant's nest in our brain and they are also so quick. Um, so we'll literally be in a situation and our internal dialogue is like full of ants, like our brain becomes an ant infestation. And there is a number of different ants. So I kind of name them in the book. You've got like the all or nothing ant. Like if I do not get this job, then I am a complete failure and I'm going to have to like move out and live on the streets and like everything's going to be terrible. Or like, um, or overgeneralized, there's an overgeneralizing um, ant. Like, oh my God, like all men are terrible um <laughs> that was one I definitely said recently <laughs> that's stop overgeneralizing um and overgeneralizing and calm down um or like paralysis by analysis like oh my gosh they didn't pen like for, you know because on my work emails I usually kind of like sign off with a bunch of kisses just like out of habit and then I'm like oh they didn't write a kiss does that mean they don't like me does that mean they're annoyed what is that like you know um like one kiss two kiss I feel like I'm like 13 you 13 again um and you've got all these different kind of ants or you know being stuck in the past and and so just being aware of these these um just being aware of these automatic negative thoughts that we all have and um and it just and 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 even writing them almost made me laugh because I was like, oh my god, I'm I'm normal. We're all normal. We're so all of us, Lauren, were in your situation. Like, and I've definitely been in that situation where someone sends that message saying, "Can we talk?" You're like, "Can we talk? What about?" Like, <laughs> um, and it ends up not being bad. So. Um, um, yeah, so answers is a really helpful uh, detection system. Poppy, I have to talk, I have to like pick up on your friendly emails point there because <laughs> we have talked on this podcast before about um, my overuse of exclamation marks. I love them. I pretty much end every sentence with an exclamation mark. And I had a bit of imposter syndrome about the fact that we were interviewing you. Um, for the record, I got 32 in the imposter syndrome test in your book. So it's quite a regular thing for me. And <laughs> Lauren messaged me a screenshot of your email saying, Jess, I think we're going to be fine. Poppy uses as many exclamation marks <laughs> as you do. <laughs> so don't worry, your emails come across very well and I very much enjoyed receiving them. Oh, that is so <laughs> funny. Yeah, I literally must write 10 exclamation marks on my... <laughs> I do too. Don't worry. I love it when a fellow exclamation mark overuser emails me. It's great. <laughs> okay, so one final question for you. And it's a bit of a selfish one because I just find this so fascinating. I haven't read much on it before, but you talk about the four brains of the body. So we've got the, the brain brain, gut brain, heart brain, and muscles brain. And when we when our bodies are disconnected from each of our brains they typically then typically that's when your sort of bitchy inner voice starts to get louder so can you expand a little on this and maybe share some tips on how that works 
Yeah. So it's we kind of ignore the body as I think um, it, it's like a huge wisdom center. And when we ignore the body, I think we're missing out on such vital information as to like what ways forward um, should we be doing that? Oh, should we change course? Should we pivot? All of these just all of these questions that we're asking in life, like, am I on the right path? Our body often always has the answers. And so and so in that it's in the connection step. I write about that. And um, and what's so amazing is obviously, you know, our, our biology through biofeedback, when we actually consult the body, actually also changes our mind. It's like in constant communication. So for example, like one belly breath, and I trained as a breathwork instructor around six years now, six years ago. And I was so just mesmerized about, you know, and obviously people talk about breathing a lot these days, but truly one belly breath, when we relax our shoulders down, when we unclench the jaw, when we take those deep breaths into that lower part of the body, like expanding the belly, filling the belly up and just really like whew, exhaling that we stimulate the vagus nerve. When we stimulate the vagus nerve, we take ourselves out of the stressed radio station in our brain onto the relaxed radio station in our brain, and then our digestion can work. And so when we're, when we're not consulting our body and suddenly, and this may be far too much information, but you know, when I'm stressed, I get deeply constipated. And like, that's not a, you know, it's literally, I'm stuck. I'm stuck in my mind and I'm stuck in my body. And so our body is telling us clues all the time. Like when I'm also, when I'm severely stressed, I get like cold sores. When I'm severely stressed, I start getting a rash and my body is going, hello. When I'm, when I'm stressed, you know, my, I, if I ever, um, um, get a massage, they're literally like, oh my God, what's happened to your back. And that's when I talk about the muscle system being another brain. Um, and there's a great book, the body holds the score. And I got told, you know, your issues are in your tissues. So when we do not process our emotions, when we don't process micro traumas and micro traumas can happen out of nowhere. For me, every breakup has literally been a micro trauma because it has brought up all my worst fears, um, you know, like the, the, my like tech like being totally terrified of rejection. And if I don't really process those experiences then I'm then not surprised why suddenly I've got um and it happened like earlier this year like I had uh, one of my lower calves was really really tight and I couldn't stop I couldn't run anymore and literally my body was like you've got to slow down you're not slowing down you're trying to race towards this like and I was like oh my god must remember my book must remember my book um but that's the thing it's you know like even when you write a book like this and I'm like I've you know spent like you know um nearly half a decade researching um you it's 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 a practice um, and so consulting the four brains um, and the heart, for example, the heart, even, you know, they found like uh, hormones in the heart, like oxytocin, the love hormone. So when you go back to the ancient Greeks um, who used to say, you know, consult your heart before you make a decision, like actually science has proven, yes, the heart can tell us messages too. So um, when, uh, so for example, in the book, I use this um, experience of, um, I, you know, I started dating this guy and I'm like, okay, before I go any further, let's consult the four brains. Because if I just consult the brain brain, maybe I'll make the wrong decision because the brain brain was like great on paper. Do you know what I mean? Has job. Um, like, like, do you know what I mean? Like, 
I don't know, this probably sounds deeply unfeminist, but paid for dinner on the first date. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, kind of like brain brain says yes. And then kind of, um, and then tummy, stomach, intuition brain is like, oh, I don't know. Oh, I don't know. And like, and you know, and heart brain's like, oh, you know, I'm not sure. And then, yeah, my, you know, muscle brain is like feeling a bit tense. So as a consequence, I'm like, right, head brain, which I usually would have followed way too much, is like good on paper. And every other brain is like, don't think so, don't think so. Yeah, it's like when people say, oh, when you get butterflies in your tummy when you meet someone, but actually that's like a really bad thing when it happens you should run right totally exactly he doesn't text me back for three days it's so exciting and you're like no <laughs> <laughs> oh oh my god Poppy, I could talk about this with you all day and I am so glad that we're doing this in the morning because I feel like I'm just gonna have such a stress-free and positive day now so thank mm. you um but before we let you go I have to ask aside from your own because that's a clear reco from us do you have a book reco for our listeners um, you know what? There's a really obscure book um, that I absolutely love and they have just reprinted it and it's from the 90s, but it is small and it is just so beautiful in reminding us that there is no such thing as a coincidence. Everything is a coordinated incidence and it's called Serendipity um, by Dyker Begg and I'll send you the link to it um, so you can put it in the show notes, but it's 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 it she's just amazing she's a a union psychologist and she's an astrologer and she talks about all these incredible experiences in her life when she was totally guided and I read this book in a moment of like I was just questioning my life a bit I'm like oh god I'm you know like am I on the right path like la 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 and I just thought it was the most calming like hug and a mug of a book and um, and so that's a bit of an obscure one. It's like not a kind of nobody would have like heard that. Um, and I'm looking at there, which one is my favorite? Um, ah, uh, I've got such weird ones, I guess. Like there's one called. Um, I, I mean, this again. This is probably like brings down the tone slightly, but I'm I'm really interested in this sort of stuff. There's a book that I've just started called Where After. And it's about totally changing how we, I guess, like process grief and this like afterlife. And again, it's like a medium, like psychic talking about these amazing experiences of like the relationships we can have with people who are past. And for me, again, I'm like, when we re when we change the way we understand dying, we also, I think, change the way that we live. And um, so, yeah, that's kind of like another weird one for you guys. Those books sound right up my street, probably more so than Jess. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, Poppy, thank you so much for coming on today. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. You just have such a passion on this topic and it exudes through you. And we really hope everyone goes out and reads your book because, like Jess said, it, it has something for everyone and we just think it would be so trans transformational for so many people so thank you so much oh guys honestly this has been like one of my favorite interviews I loved all your questions and um deeply grateful honestly couldn't be more grateful for you guys you know championing the books I really appreciate it
giving you a chance to win a September Books That Matter box, which includes a hardback copy of Beautiful World, Where Are You? by Sally Rooney, plus some fab goodies. So there are two ways to enter. If, like me, you get your podcasts on Apple, then subscribe, leave a rating and review, and make sure you use your Instagram handle as your nickname on the review. And if, like me, you listen on Spotify or anywhere else, then follow the podcast and share a screenshot of your Instagram stories tagging at BookRecos. We can count your entry that way. Entries for the September box are open until Monday the 27th of September, and the winner will be announced on our Instagram on Wednesday 29th of September. If you're listening to this at a later date, then you won't be entered into the September box. Good news, it's a monthly competition, so still enter, and you could win whatever the current month's boxes at the time thank you so much for listening see you next week